0: Good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Garrett Gottlob, and I'm the director of youth ministries here at Lighthouse Fellowship. And I am so excited to get to share the gospel with you this morning. Now, as most of you know, last Sunday Frank finished his series on renewal, right? That's why we have this really cool-looking communion table behind me. Uh, if you were not here, and then next week, of course, is football Sunday or Super Bowl Sunday. Right, And uh, that left us with a week in between without a series, so what does Frank decide to do? He decided to have me come and preach, um, right? So th- thanks, Frank, wherever you are right now. Uh, I guess the joke is on him, though, as today is Pro Bowl Sunday, right? is, which is the football all-star game for those of you who don't follow sports. So technically, I'm viewing this as Frank asking me to be a starter for the All-Star game, but so hopefully, hopefully y'all view it the same way as well. So the title for my sermon today is Unnecessary Roughness, Bridging the Generational Divide. And I chose this title for a couple of reasons. The first and most obvious reason is the tongue-in-cheek reference to football. The second, though, is because as I look out into society, I see a real lack of mutual respect between members of different generations. And inevitably, this seems to lead to unnecessary division and hostility. Seriously, it's so hard these days to find compliments of one generation towards another. The other day, I was reading an article online, and this is what it said. The children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter in place of exercise. Children are now tyrants, servants of their household. uh, They're now tyrants, no longer servants of their own household. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, chatter before company, gobble up dainties at the table, cross their legs, and tyrannize their teachers. Uh, the authors also quoted as having said, the young people of today think, nothing of but themse- think of nothing but themselves. They have no reverence for parents or old age. They are, they are impatient of all restraint. They talk as if they alone knew everything, and what passes for wisdom with us is foolishness with them. Um, and I'm pretty sure I saw a few of you kind of just slightly nodding your heads as I was reading. At least the parents, the students are looking at me like, what are you talking about? Um, but I think the irony of both of those quotes is that they're believed to have been spoken by Socrates around 2,800 <laughs> years ago, right? So, you know, we all ta- Christmas was like a month ago now, which crazy that a month has gone by. Right, but we were just talking about Jesus, and that was 2,000 years ago. So you need to go back another 800 years before Jesus to see how long this type of thing has been happening. And right, this phenomenon seems to be timeless, but I believe that the gap is growing. And I think at the root of the problem is the increasing individualism found within our culture today. People are often self-focused, and as a result, they don't have the patience required to be empathetic and patience towards others, let alone show them compassion. Instead, we often hastily characterize other people, painting them with broad brushstrokes about how they must think and what they must do based upon their outward characteristics like age and gender and race. And most of you probably know what a caricature is, but for those of you who don't, I have an example picture of what one looks like. All right, so here's an image, right? You can see the real people on the right and the caricature on the left, right? And as you can see, caricatures exaggerate features and attributes that do exist, but they blow them out of proportion. Caricatures bring out some bit of truth from an image, but distorts it to a point where it no longer fully aligns with reality, and when we do this with other people groups, it becomes easy to mock them or to try to blame them for the problems that exist in the world. Right? This is how we get stereotypes like entitled millennials, selfish and out-of-touch boomers, <laughs> smartphone-addicted Gen Z, and overspending Gen X. Right? And the result of this is that we talk past each other or worse yet, we mentally discard what other groups have to offer. I'm, I'm acutely attuned to this when it comes to Gen Z because they are the generation that's currently in youth ministry right now. And when I'm meeting with other adults and, and I meet someone new and they ask me what I'm what I do for a living, and I tell them I'm a youth director, I normally get a response along the lines of, why would you want to work with students? <laughs> or I would never want to do that. Or my personal favorite, bless your heart. <laughs> right. people, people look over them and judge them based on either the worst people in the group or the worst generic attributes of the group without stopping to think about the good that they offer as well. It is the same type of judgment that the Apostle Paul encouraged his protege, Timothy to try to avoid in 1 Timothy 4.12, which says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Paul had spent time training and discipling discipling Timothy, helping to prepare him for ministry, and he had just left Timothy in charge of the church in Ephesus. And 1 Timothy is a letter to give Timothy practical advice on how he is to lead that church. And one of Paul's worries was that Timothy's youthfulness would get in the way of people wanting to follow him. Right? Paul himself knew that Timothy had lots to offer. Otherwise, he never would have left him in charge of the church. Right? And I can only imagine what it would be like to be Timothy reading Paul's letter out loud, trying to convince other people to, to respect him, right, as he's the one telling it to them, right? It's an interesting way of viewing it, right? But this verse itself can be viewed in two different ways, right? The first and most common way is from the lens of Timothy and to be encouraged to lead the church in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, right? And if you're a youth in this room, I encourage you to think about that, right? Ways that you are able to do that. But the other way to view this verse, though, is from the point of view of the congregation, right? The question then becomes about if you, allow your, if you will allow yourself to truly respect and follow a young person, right? And if so, what does it mean to take youth seriously? The thing is, I know that I'm truly blessed to work with our students. I can honestly say that I learned just as much from them and the way they view the world as they do from me. I have students who serve others consistently. I have students who make sure that new people feel welcome when they walk through the doors of the church. I have students who help to speak God's truth into other people's lives. I have students who come up here and help lead worship for all of us, like today, right? And we need to stop being guilty of viewing the youth as the future leaders of the church and recognize that we have students who are the leaders in the church right now. Right? We need to recognize that and empower students to use their gifts and talents to help build God's kingdom. Right? Now, does this mean that I think that we should just hand over the metaphorical keys to the church and have them lead everything that we do? No. That, that would be foolish. <laughs> right? Trust me, I've seen plenty of students learn how to drive, and if we tried to do that without some wisdom and instruction from experienced drivers— then they would be sure to crash and burn, right? And there's no, well, we have insurance, but we don't want to think about that. Um, And adults, this is where you come into the picture, right? The youth are leading and have leadership potential, but they also have their own problems and struggles. And they have lots that they can learn from older generations. They truly need adults to walk alongside them and help them in that process. A few months ago, I was at the, A Taste of Italy down the street, right? And I was meeting with a group of men for one of our weekly Wednesday lunches. And I ended up having a conversation during that time that surprised me. Uh, I was talking with one of the guys, and they ended up opening up to me about the fact that they were having trouble connecting with younger generations. They were doubting their effectiveness and being able to build meaningful relationships with members of those age groups. And the irony to me was that this man had no idea how much I personally respect him and how much he means to me. And I enjoy every conversation that I have with him. Right? He's a person who is overflowing with love and wisdom, and yet even he doubts his own effectiveness with others. If this great man of God who has had an impact on my life questions what kind of relationships he can have with youth, then I'm sure that many others do as well. And thankfully, God has provided us some good guidelines to follow in our instruction of youth. God says to Israel in Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. Again, sorry, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. From this text, we see the, first see the importance of understanding who God is, and along with loving God fully. I think that the command starts here, because how can we truly teach our young people well about God if we don't truly believe it ourselves? Right, as I once heard someone say, you can only safely lead someone as far as you have traveled yourself. If you don't believe in God's love and command yourself, then your teachings to your children are going to ring hollow. And I would also say that it holds true that if your actions don't match up with what you verbally claim to believe, then that will also not be en- enough to be appealing to your kids." And the second part of this passage focuses on how to help children know and understand God's commands, right? So I'm going to read that part one more time. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Uh, this whole this whole part of the uh, passage is about being focused on creating a culture where children will, would always be surrounded by God's commands, right? From the time that they rise to the time they go to sleep. If they're traveling on the road, if they're at a friend's house, right? Everywhere they go, they would be encountering these commands and God's, God's directions, right? And they would learn to understand that God's commands pervade every area of their lives, right? And this, this role would primarily be done by parents, Um, But as evidenced by the address being made to all of Israel, everyone has a role to play in that process. And because of that, it should come as no surprise to us that modern statistics show that the highest indicator of whether a student will remain in the church after they become an adult is how well their parents modeled a life of faith for them growing up. Did you all hear that, parents in the room, right? We should be making sure to evaluate what we are modeling at home, right? And interestingly enough, in 2 Timothy, we learn that Timothy himself was heavily influenced by his Christian mother and grandmother. 2 Timothy 1.5 tells us, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which, I first, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now also lives in you. Clearly, parents and family can help positively influence young people. And the second biggest indicator for staying in the church as an adult is whether or not they had at least five adult mentors in their lives. And these relationships form a metaphorical net for students to safely fall back on as they explore their faith. They give students unique perspectives and insights that their parents are unable to offer. And these relationships are key in students' faith formation. One thing that's interesting about the time period that we live in right now is that more and more families are living far away from each other. Family members see each other less and less often as a result. I know quite a few of our church members and our congregation who don't have any relatives nearby except their spouse. Now, what I would ask of you, if this is the case, would be to... consider becoming a metaphorical spiritual parent or grandparent to some of our youth, right? Adopt them as if they're your own and invest in their lives. And like me, you might just find that you will be more blessed by them than you ever thought possible. For all of the mature Christian adults in this room, you should be considering how you are discipling and serving students. If that is one of the main things that's that is able to help uh, people remain in the church as they transition to adulthood, then we should truly be prioritizing that. And some of the ways that you're able to do that would be becoming a Sunday school teacher on Sunday mornings, being a leader on Wednesday night youth group, uh, helping to provide meals uh, either by yourself or with your life group for the students on Wednesday nights. Uh, A few months back, we, we had prayer partners for the students throughout the whole year, right? These are all different ideas and ways of serving, but that doesn't mean those are the only ways either, right? Sometimes just having a conversation with them, getting to know them, letting them know that you care, that can go a long way as well, right? But the important thing is that you just do something. For far too long, I think the church has made the mistake of farming out the work of ministry on the paid staff alone, but I want to remind us this morning that we all have a role to play when it comes to the the development of youth into mature Christians. I know that I personally cannot connect with every student on my own. One, I don't have the time to do that. And two, not every student is going to get along perfectly with me. right? But that doesn't mean that they would be unable to get along fantastically with an adult leader or mentor. In fact... Just this last week, a couple of preteen girls signed up for a conference that we're going to solely because they heard that they'd be hanging out with Nicole Ramos, one of our preteen leaders, right? And that is the difference that partnering with them can make in their lives, right? They might not have ever gone to this event where they're going to worship God. They're going to hear the gospel. They're going to have fun. They're going to build Uh, community and relationships with those other preteens. And they might not have ever wanted to do that unless they had that relationship with Nicole, right? Investing in their lives can truly make a big difference. And all these changes that attempt to bridge the gap between generations will will not come overnight, but we need to begin taking steps in the right direction, even though it will not come easy for some of us. These changes will require effort, perseverance grit and most importantly compassion towards one another we will need to see the other generational groups as people who are flawed but also full of unique perspective and potential instead of fighting with each other we all need to talk to each other and learn from what each generation has to offer every generation needs to be fully included in order for the body of christ to be healthy and functioning to its fullest potential And just imagine all of the things that our church could accomplish for God if we could achieve this vision. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would break down any divisions that we have amongst ourselves, God. God, you are not a God of division, but you are a God of unity. God, I thank you for the unique perspective and way of viewing the world that each individual in this room has to offer. God, may may those things not be cast aside, God, but may they be taken into account. And may we use all of those things in order to build your kingdom, God, and to show others your light and your love. God, I pray this all in the name of your Son. Amen.